No? Now I'm on? All right. Guys, I am happy to be here. My name is Jake Slobodnik, and I couldn't be more excited. I can't tell you enough how much I want to reiterate what Ricardo just said. This is an incredible opportunity for all of us who got a chance to preach tonight, and we wouldn't have it without you guys. So I'm happy to be speaking to you about my favorite thing tonight, Jesus, and I could not do it. I can't tell you how much I've been encouraged before I even got onto the stage with people praying for me and just telling me we want you to do well, and I just feel like I got everyone on my side, so thank you. So, thanks. So again, who am I? My name is Jake. I'm an intern here at Redemption. I have been an intern here for about two and a half, three years, and it has been a huge blessing to my life. I've loved every bit of it, and people have asked me all the time, what's it like being an intern at Redemption? And I always just tell them it's a a lot of things, but I'll just tell you exactly what it is right now. Being an intern at Redemption has awesome moments where you get to sit with a group of these wonderful pastors who just have so much wisdom. It's just oozing out of them. And then you can get the low points where you're unplugging a toilet because someone overflowed it and someone's got to do it. So (laughs) with that, I just want to tell you, when I started my internship, I remember I sat down with Ricardo, and he wrote up on a whiteboard like he usually does, and he did his little pose where he looks at the whiteboard, and then he said, Jake, what do you want to learn in? What do you want to get from your internship? And I said, I want to learn about the gospel. And I, I just had heard a ton about it at the church. Everyone was saying the good news, the gospel, and I wanted to know what that meant. And so I'm really excited that my first time I get to preach to you all, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about good news. And so, before I jump in, and before I forget this completely, um, if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Everyone needs a Bible, and one of the guys will pass out a Bible to you. If you don't have a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. Take it, take it home, put your name on it. We want you to have a Bible in your home and something that you can hold on to, all right? All right. So we're going to do a bit of a recap. We're going to talk about good news. But I'll just tell you ahead of time. I got one point the entire evening. I'll just tell you what it is. Jesus is righteous for us. That's it. We'll talk about the whole night. All right? So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. We're just going to do a little bit of recap before we jump into the actual text. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We start off this series with an announcement of good news. And then the last couple of weeks have just kind of been bad news, bad news, bad news. But now we get to go back into the good news today. And before we jump into it, would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to gather together and we get to talk about your son Jesus and the good news that he brings and what that means. God, I just ask that you would speak through me tonight and that you would make me clearly point out Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. Amen. All right, so the, the letter to the Romans starts off with good news, and Paul starts off by saying the righteousness of God. Something is really, really exciting. But then it's as if the next line, he just 
totally switches it up. Right after he says that good news, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So right after the first line, he just goes into all bad. And if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you know that it has been bad over and over and over again. It has been the wrath of God, the justice. It has been over and over something that's a little bit less exciting than we wouldn't call good news. He said verses like they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, speaking about humanity. You have no excuse, O man. And then he says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And then none is righteous, no, not one. Together they have become worthless. Their throat is an open grave. Their feet are swift to shed blood. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But today we get back to good news. Sorry, I keep messing with this. I keep hearing the popping, so just trying to fix it. So we're getting back into the good news today. Open up your Bibles to Romans 3. Verse 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We jump back into good news, and it's as if Paul announced that, and then before he even wanted to get into it, wanted to make sure we knew very clearly with the last couple of weeks, the righteousness of God is going to be made available through Jesus. But I want you to know that everyone needs it. And so tonight I want to tell you a bit about what this good news means to me, how it affected me when I found out, and how I ended up sitting in the back row there at a 7 o'clock service, because the 7 o'clock service was actually my first service as well. And so I was born in California, was there for about two years, and then my family moved to Phoenix, and that's where my two youngest brothers were born, and then after that, we moved up to Prescott, and I spent my entire childhood in Prescott, up north, in the woods, and we ran around in the forest barefoot, and my entire life was just spending time with my brothers. They were my best friends, and I loved my family, and I have these really fond memories of family time spent where we are reading and we had this incredible fireplace because our house was heated by a wood furnace and it was just the best way you could ever think of growing up. And then when I was about 11 years old, my parents actually got a divorce. And that just kind of started a lot of different painful things in my life. And if you've ever experienced something like that, something that's pretty painful, something that is really just life-changing... You know that there's definitely a temptation, a lurking temptation to kind of try to numb the pain, to do something to kind of escape it. And it could be good things and it could be bad things. And for me, it was through stories. I I wanted to escape from the things going on in my life into a fantasy world. And it just started off with some incredible love for movies and books and TV. And if you want to know anything about what I am like, you can just... Picture me at the premiere of the last Harry Potter movie, and I'm sitting in the front row, and I have my fists clenched in expectation, a little tear of, like, joy and triumph running down as Harry Potter finally defeats Voldemort and wins. Or more recently, hanging out in the Man of Steel movie, a new Superman movie, and just fist pumping and everything he does and getting chills when he flies and he saves everyone. I mean, that's me. I love stories. And I loved them because what they did is they offered something that I really, really liked. I liked how the heroes always triumphed. The heroes would press on, even though 
their life and was filled with sadness and it was really surrounded by a lot of ugliness, they would continue on, they would press on, and they would push through to the end. And at the end, it would always be that the heroes were surrounded by people and they would be looking at them with these nods of approval and they'd be like, well done, you made it. We all gave up on you, but you pushed through to the end. And that's why I love stories, because I really wanted to, I wanted to be in one of those stories. I wanted to be in the Harry Potter world. Not because I wanted to wave around wands, but because I wanted to be a part of a story where in the end the hero triumphed. And I wanted to see that in my own life because I had a lot of brokenness in it. But though at first this was a way for me to escape the harshness of my parents' divorce and other relationships being broken in my life, it began to create this kind of longing in me that just kind of ate away at me. No matter how much I wanted, I couldn't actually be like these heroes. And I would retreat to them to find solace from things going on in my life, and then I would be reminded constantly that I wasn't actually like these stories. My story wasn't as cool, it wasn't as happy ending, and and that eventually just began to really drag me down. Maybe you felt that same kind of longing before. Maybe you're like, yes, Harry Potter sermons, about time. But most of you probably are like, Jake, I don't care less about Harry Potter. I mean, it's, it's all right. And it's not about the stories. It's about who sets the standard in your life. Is it your family? Is it your friends that set the standard? Is it the world around you, media? Who tells you what's satisfying, what's good, what is success, what is beauty? Is it your job, your coworkers? Or do you, like me, find something else to set the standard for you? Irregardless of who sets the standards, we know we fail along the way somewhere. And we have regret and shame because we know what it feels like when Paul's talking about the sin in the world from chapters 1 through 3 that just has been wrecking humanity. We know what it feels like to not live up to the standards that either we have set for ourselves or someone else has set for us. And it just gives you this gut feeling that just just drags you down. And we try, we try to justify ourselves and we say things like, no, no, no one's perfect. But the Bible doesn't leave us any wiggle room for that kind of stuff. It makes a very clear standard for humanity. It says, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. We cannot live up to the standard of God. And somewhere along the way, we give up even trying. Because it just gets discouraging. And we make up our own standard somewhere along the way. And the ironic thing is you make up your own standard like I did, and then you find out you can't actually live up to the standard you've made. And because we fail, we meet the righteous, to meet the righteousness of God and choose to live by our own standards, our lives become self-destructive in a lot of ways. Now, what I did is I uh, joined wrestling. I thought it was the most intense sport I could ever think of and definitely the most exhilarating. And you can say what you want about guys in tight singlets and the you know, sweatiness, but I tell you what, there is nothing better than going against someone in a combat sport and at the end of it having your hand raised and just looking at them and going like, I'm better than you. 
There was no, no sun in your eyes, no team that you could say, oh, someone dropped the ball. Like, it's, just, it's just you and him. And I really like that. But one time my coach called me up and he said, Jake, do you want to wrestle tomorrow? We got a varsity position opened up. That was because I was really terrible when I first started wrestling. Guys would pick me up and drop me on my heads and I'd get the snot kicked out of me. But I had something that I really made me successful. I had a determination. Not necessarily a really healthy determination, though, because when my coach called me, I said, yeah, coach, I'd love to wrestle, and I hung up the phone, and I failed to tell him that I was nine pounds overweight for the next day. And if you know nothing about wrestling, you have to wrestle at a certain weight class, so I had to be 125 pounds the next day, and I was nine pounds over that. And so you hear the horror stories about wrestling, and they're true. I tried to lose nine pounds in one evening. So the next day, I spent four to six hours in the gym, and I had a pair of sweats on and a plastic bag with holes cut out so that I could dehydrate myself and sweat it out, and I was doing boxing and burpees, and CrossFit had nothing on that. <laughs> and, I, and I showed up to the wrestling match, and I stepped on the scale, and they're like, you weighed in. I was like, great. So I go to wrestle, and I shake this kid's hand, getting my stance. And I beat the kid. And then I get off the mat, and I run over to the sideline, I grab a trash can, and begin to vomit. And then I set it down, and I wipe my mouth, and I go to the next match. And I shake the next kid's hand, and I wrestle him, and the match is over, and I get off, and I go grab another trash can, and I begin to vomit again. And I get to get chills because I've gotten the flu, because I've self-dehydrated myself so badly. So then I go to wrestle another match, and I shake the kid's hand, and I get off after the match, and I vomit in a trash can, and I finish up, and everyone is like, wow, what a tough guy. Way to persevere, you know, in tough circumstances. And I I didn't do it to be tough, guys. I did it because I needed someone from when I was very young on to look at me and say, Jake, that's good enough. You're a good man. You've met the standard. And no matter what anyone told me, I couldn't actually do that. I had this aching in me that I can't actually live up to a standard, and I didn't even know where it came from. Whether it was from stories or other people or some twisted idea that I had of what God wanted that I wasn't clear on. Are you desperately trying to live up to a standard that you can't, like I did? Do you try and live up to the standard of God day in and day out and feel the whiplash of trying to measure up? Trying to live how you think you should, failing and then feeling regret and shame and just being exhausted. Because whether you try to live up to someone else's standard or try to live up to God's standard, you realize, I can't, I can't do this. Well, there's a reason. Going to church every Sunday from when I was very young, because that's what my family did, it it didn't help out. Because I used to think that Jesus was all about rules and trying harder to meet the standards of God. And all it did was put a weight around my neck when life got really hard. Not only could I live up to the standards that I felt like other people were putting on me, but I also knew there's no way I'm going to live up to God's standards too. And then when my life got hard, I ran away from God. I didn't need another set of rules. There was no way I was going to step into church and go through that if I, if I can't live up to even my own standards. Humanity, for a long time, has needed a hero. But a hero 
far better than the ones that I really enjoyed. We need someone better. We needed a savior. Romans 3, verse 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is where the good news gets announced. And Paul's coming back after he made it very clear. Everyone needs this righteousness, but now we're actually going to talk about it. Our Savior from our failure's name is Jesus. The good news, Paul says, is the standard of God is met. Not by more rules, not an encouragement to try harder and try harder to live up, but by God sending us someone who actually could do it for us. Jesus is righteous for us. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. When Jesus came to earth, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus has come to be righteous for us. But don't miss the point. Jesus didn't come so that all the standards of God could get a bit easier. God's not the angry judge, and then Jesus comes in and says, I I know my, my father's a little crazy. Let me see if I can talk to him, make it a little bit nicer. God gave us the law, the standards, and the rules as a diagnosis, not a cure. If someone's having chest pains and you feel like they're having a heart attack, you don't go, hold on, I'm going to save you, and then you grab a stethoscope, and then you listen to their heart, and you go, yep, you're cured. You listen to their heart, and you go, yep, you're really having a heart attack, and that's all you can do with a stethoscope. God gave us the law so that we could look in the mirror and finally go, there's no way. I need someone to do this for me. I need help. I need a savior. I need someone who can be righteous for me on my behalf. Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually evaluated whether you live up to the standards that other people put on you or the standards that you put on yourself? Have you thought, do you live up to the standards of God? Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God, the standard, is given to us. It's completed and given to us by putting our trust and faith in Jesus. There's this really cool scene in the Man of Steel movie, Superman. Yeah, we're going back. It's where Superman's father is ominously speaking to Superman, Russell Crowe. And he says, you will give the people, I'll do a normal, normal voice. You will give the people, <laughs> he says to Superman, it's in the trailer, you gotta go watch it when you go home. He says, you will give the people of earth an ideal to strive towards. 
They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. And then that scene, you get chills, and you're like, oh my gosh. And Superman does the cool fist thing to the ground, and the earth shakes, and then he takes off and flies for the first time. And you're like, yes, the hero's here. But there's something seriously wrong with what Russell Crowe said. What's the problem? Well, the problem is the people of Earth will always stumble. They'll always fall. They're always going to come up short. They're never going to actually join Superman and Son. Why? Because they're not superhumans in the movie. They don't have laser beam eyes and they can't fly like Superman. Totally another level, in case you didn't notice in that movie. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is not our example so that we can try harder and then leave us up to trying harder and live up to my standard better. Because that is not good news, is it? Good news is when God tells us, I've done what you could never do on your own for you. And I'll count it as if you did it when my son did it. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What the Bible just said is without Jesus, we're dead. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. And dead people... They don't need new standards. Dead people don't need coaches. Dead people don't need someone to tell them, try harder, you're not living up. They're dead. They don't do anything. We need someone to come resuscitate us. We don't need a coach. We need someone to come along with AED paddles and rub them together, put them on our chest, and shock us alive. And that is what Jesus has done on the cross. And then God the Father counted his life, his perfect life, as if we lived it. And then he called us just. We started off as dead, and now Jesus, because of his life, has made us just. We needed someone that we could trust to do everything for us. And that person's Jesus. Who could live up to God's standard? God himself. That's it. Verse 23 through 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Bible said we were made in God's image. That's what we were made for, to reflect what he looked like. And Jesus said when he was here to be perfect as his father is perfect. And the Bible is clear that those who fail to live up to his standard are his enemies. Enemies of God. 
The Bible's description of humanity is that we are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters. Haters of God. That's what we spent three chapters of a book and plenty of weeks going over. Without Jesus coming and rescuing us as the hero, we're just haters of God and we're ending up dead. But we're justified by his grace as a gift. And this is the most wonderful gift and that's what all the old thicker part, the Old Testament was for. So that we would know that we needed help so that when Jesus came, we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't miss the fact that we desperately need him. And there's a big difference between Jesus and every other hero. And this is what I realized when it changed my life. Jesus dies for the haters of God. Jesus dies for his enemies. Jesus is Harry Potter, except in the end of the movie, he dies for Voldemort so that Voldemort can have new life and all of the Death Eaters can be forgiven of everything they've done. Doesn't that make you cringe? That's the gift. That's what God did not want us to miss. There's a reason we named our church Redemption. Redemption is when Jesus walked into enemy territory He did the AED thing, shocked us back alive, and then he carried our bodies back to the side of God when we are enemies. This was always the goal of God, always. Jesus was not the backup plan for when we couldn't actually live up to the law. The law was always to show us that we needed Jesus as a savior. And this good news Because Jesus does everything for us. My whole life, I needed someone to look me in the eyes and to say, that's good enough, Jake. But through Jesus Christ, we have God himself look us in the eyes and say very clearly, you're never going to be good enough to live up to my standards. So I'm going to live up to them for you. And I love you so much I'll be good enough for you and I'll become the righteousness of God for you and then I'm going to give it as a gift. That's what it's talking about here. Are you trying to live up to God's standards? Are you failing and feeling the weight and then continuing to try harder and continuing to try harder? Maybe this is one of your first times in church in a long time or maybe even ever. And you still know there's something deep in you that you realize, I'm not living up to a somebody's standard. Have you ran from God all your life? Or have you been a Christian for a long time and you just need a good reminder like we do every single day? Jesus is our righteousness, not what we do. We can rest. Because Jesus has become the righteous standard of God for us and then he's given that perfection to us as a gift so will you bow your heads with me we're going to pray